Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I have the good fortune to be interviewing Stefan Arstall of Tower Paddleboards a company that not only was on Shark Tank, but got Mark Cuban to invest. He is also the best-selling author of the book, Five Hour Workday, which was a bestseller in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, and many more. And we've got other new information he's gonna be showing us today. Stefan, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, Seth. All right, let's go back in time a little bit. How did Tower Paddleboards get started? Sure. Uh, you know, I've been in the internet business since 1999. Um, they were sort of handing out internet jobs at the time with your degrees. And uh, so I worked in a company for about five years and started my own uh, company selling high-end poker chips. Uh, that sort of, you know, went up, thought I was going to retire, and then just sort of slowly faded as poker chips got commoditized online. Um, and I was looking for other businesses, and a buddy took me out paddleboarding in 2010. Um and I tried a number of other businesses uh, that did, you know, weren't successful. And then when I saw the paddleboard uh, business, it was very similar to the poker chip business. It was this trending, um, you know, trending sport. And I thought I could sort of see the future in that. We could sell half-price paddleboards and we would uh, take over the industry. And then how, tell us a little bit, I know it's in your book, but tell us, and it was on Shark Tank. Tell us a little bit about that journey and how you grew that company. Yeah, so uh, I mean, we're an SEO-based uh, company, but essentially we were just selling direct-to-consumer paddleboards for half price, just sort of cutting out all the middlemen. And um, you know, we started in 2010. That was the same time that Warby Parker and really a lot of these other direct-to-consumer brands started in you know a thousand different categories, and we just offered a bet- better value proposition. Um, we were selling paddleboards so cheap that for the first couple of years, people thought we were a discounter and they thought, well, these are just like crap, you know, product. Uh, but after a while, and it really took a couple of years to convince people, no, these are actually, you know, some of the best paddleboards and you can actually reach the company. So um, once that started to click in, we really started to take off, you know, being on Shark Tank, what the benefit that that gave us was it was a media event and it wasn't so much that we went on Shark Tank and sold, you know, a million dollars in paddleboards in, in a, a day. It's that uh, we got a lot of articles and press around us just being on Shark Tank. That was actually more important than actually being on uh, the show. Um, and from an SEO perspective, we just got a lot of high powered links and it gave us a lot of legitimacy. And then obviously we got Mark Cuban to invest. You know, I'm sort of known as the worst pitch in the history of Shark Tank. 
that still landed a deal because uh, I fell apart on there. I forgot my pitch. I was just sort of silent for minutes and they're making fun of me. Um, but then I made a comeback and, um, you know, we got Mark Cuban to invest and he was a, he was a guest shark at the time. So that was one of the early ones. And then how did that, you mentioned the media exposure and the SEO juice. How did Mark Cuban help grow your company in addition to the check that he wrote? Well, when I went on the show, I mean, I, they called me out of the blue to be on the show. I'd never seen the show. It was in season two when they called. Um, and I honestly didn't know who these other sharks were. Um, and when I went on there, because I had to go on like five, five weeks later, I uh, was preparing and I have a really bad memory. And I was worried about remembering the names of everybody on the panel, right? And then two days into my sort of four-day sequester up in, uh, you know, a hotel in LA, they said, Mark Cuban's going to be the guest shark. And I'm like, okay, well, I know that guy, you know, and I, I looked at that as almost like a celebrity endorsement. I mean, usually you would have to pay him to, uh, you know, be able to talk about him with your brand. And so I really valued his money at about three times. So when he came on, that was part of the, my negotiation was like, I was like, Mark, I want to put your, uh, your face on our website. Like, you know, or do we have permission to do that? Yes. Okay. And then we signed the deal and we went forward. So that was really it. You know, it's not like he's uh, doing introductions for us. He really wants you to, I mean, I think the entrepreneurs he likes best is the ones that just sort of are competent and they'll just sort of run their own show. Uh, they can leverage him. They can leverage the show. Uh, they can leverage his team. He's got a team around him that can help you with stuff. So, you know, we've been, uh, I think we're his best investment in the history of the show. We're certainly one of his best investments. Uh, going into the show, we had $100,000 in sales lifetime in the history of our company. Uh, he invested $150,000 for 30% of the company. Um, and all the other sharks were laughing at him like, oh my gosh, you've way overpaid for this. Like, this is crazy town. Uh, you know, since then we've done over 40 million in sales. We've, I've cashed him out, um, you know, well over a million dollars in dividends, uh, you know, and he still has his stake in the company. That is an absolutely incredible journey. How did the five hour work day come about? Sure. So we're a beach lifestyle company, you know, town paddle boards. We're telling people to go out and, uh, you know, cut out of work and go paddle boarding, like, you know, work hard, play hard is sort of our company culture. And, uh, so we've had this success in 2014, we were the named the number one fastest growing private company in San Diego. And then the next year we were number 239 on the Inc 500 list of America's grow fastest growing companies. So we proved um, that we could do this fast growth. And we were about, you know, 5 million in revenue at that time. And I, I was trying to think like, okay, if we want to really blow this up and make this a, um, you know, a sustainable brand an enduring brand, you know, a hundred million dollar brand, how do we do that? Um, and so I started reading a, a lot of books on branding, what those, what those big brands do. And one of the you know, recurring themes was that they live their brand, right? So here we are, a paddleboard company. Uh, our headquarters is literally two blocks from the beach, and we're working like a startup. We're successful, but we're not living our brand. Um, you know, but I myself had kind of been living this five-hour workday for the last 15 years. All my entrepreneurial peers who were showing a lot of success in sort of the current economic environment and the business environment were kind of working like me. You kind of come into the office, head down, knock out your work, and you get out of there. And uh, you're using a lot of efficiency tools and stuff. And so we have sort of this nuclear power at our fingertips. If we use that correctly, we can afford ourselves this sort of luxurious lifestyle. And I said, you know, why don't we do that for the whole company? And so we did an experiment for three months. Um, it, I, and I, I put pressure on people too. It wasn't just like we went to the five-hour workday and we're going to a part-time company. I said, 
okay, we're going to work 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. straight through, no lunch. And if you can't figure out how to be as productive as you were before, you'll be fired. And we'll find somebody who can take that trade off. So I'm going to give you your life back, uh, but I'm going to ask for, you know, productivity and, you know, cut out the, uh, the Facebook and the uh, fantasy football at work and online shopping or whatever people are doing at work these days. Um, and so it worked well. After three months, we continued it uh, for about two years until there were some cracks um, that, that sort of appeared. And so then we went to a hybrid model where we do that in the summer only for four months. And the off season, we do it. Uh, we do regular startup hours. And then talk a little bit about how that helped transform your company. You know, we're, uh, we're still kicking. It's, uh, we're 11 years into this as an internet company, um, you know, especially a product-based one. I think if you can survive like 10 years, that's a pretty good, uh, you know, that's a pretty good thing uh, these days. Um, with the five-hour workday, it basically changed our company culture in some good ways and some bad ways. And one of the good ways was it, it made us um, a company culture that was focused on identifying and using productivity tools. Uh, so if somebody finds like a hack of something that they use that seems to be saving them a lot of time, they'll share it with the team. So we, uh, we do a lot of that and that has made us a very, uh, you know, productive team. And I think, uh, you know, going into the pandemic uh, that affected a lot of businesses in different ways. You know, we have now diversified into uh, tower electric bikes. So it's like a, a direct consumer e-bike company. We have tower beach club, which is a local event. We kind of office out of the back of this waterfront event space. So instead of paying rent, you know, we collect rent. Uh, so we diversify. And then, but going into the pandemic, uh, we'd also walked away from Amazon. Uh, so we walked away from about more than half of our revenue in 2017. And so we were downsizing and right-sizing the company. And the bank got nervous because they didn't like uh, what we were doing. We were, I thought we were making all the correct strategic moves and we were diversifying and we were shrinking our, um, our, our sort of cost center. And um, we're positioning ourselves as a more healthy company, but the bank got nervous. They put one of our loans into default, like over a million dollar loan. And that was about six months prior to the pandemic. Then the pandemic hit and we thought, uh oh, you know, this is all over. <laughs> we're, out, we're out of business. Um, so we didn't do the five hour work day that, that summer. And I sort of told the team, I said, this is what we've been training for, kind of. You, you know how to work at twice the speed of most people. Um, so we're going to put that to work. And um, in 2020, we doubled revenues. Um, and so now we're back on this growth trajectory. Um, and we've twisted, we've changed the five-hour workday experiment a little bit because um, there was an entitlement issue uh, that came into it too. Um, and so now in years that we increase revenue, the following year, we'll have four months of a five-hour workday. If we don't increase revenue, we roll up our sleeves and we double down and we work and we get back into that growing um, in a direction. So what, in, I mean, that's absolutely incredible. I mean, we could spend hours and hours talking about that. What inspired you to write the book? You know, the, I, I never really had an intention to write a book. I mean, I would say, you know, I was good at math in high school, but if I, my high school English teacher knew I wrote a book, she would probably laugh. Uh, <laughs> it was not great. Um, but I had, uh, you know, because we were an SEO company, I was writing articles for magazines and I had a company that was sort of helping me get published in, you know, Inc. Magazine or Fortune or that type of stuff, basically to, to build your sort of presence or presence or become sort of a, a domain expert, right? Um, and I was writing about what we were doing in the company. 
And, you know, a lot of it was efficiency-based type stuff. And then the first time I wrote about the five-hour workday, I mean, that article went crazy. It was, it got like 10,000 social shares, right? And I'm not a known writer. So usually it's like five social shares, right? It's nothing. And I'm like, holy cow, like this resonates uh, with people. Um, so and that was in maybe 2016 um, or late 2015. And it, so we decided to uh, write a book on this. And we said, hey, this resonates with people. It's perfectly aligned with our brand. Um, so if people hear about the five-hour workday, they're going to say, yeah, this company is treating their employees good. I like what they're doing. I wish my company did that. And they might buy a paddleboard from us. So we, uh, you know, did the book and we put a paddle uh, book in every paddleboard package that we send out and e-bike package that we send out now. And that's how we distribute it. We did, we've, we've sold maybe 3,000 books in the history of this thing. I mean, I don't think going into the book business is a really great business. Um, but we've probably given away 20,000 books. So that's how we're sort of spreading the message. And the weird, a weird thing happened in this whole thing is uh, we started to do some press about it and we got you know, basically a national press tour. There was press in over 20 countries. Uh, we ended up getting in all of the major press and it really has started um, you know, sort of a snowball effect of this sort of work less movement. And it's not all five hour workday focused, but some of those like you know, four day work week, there's, uh, you know, there's different types of things. Sweden tried like a six hour, uh, you know, workday and there's definitely a movement. And now we're seen as sort of a central figure in that movement, uh, you know, and, but you know, we're a six person paddleboard company. So <laughs> well, we're just experimenting. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on all of that. It's obviously an incredible journey. You get any pushback or confusion versus, you know, Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. Yeah, so it's it's mentioned in the book, and obviously that is uh, a lot of the influence. So the the way I have been working, and a lot of my entrepreneurial peers have been working the last fifteen years, is largely influenced by Tim Ferriss's book for our work week. Um, and it was a it was about an individual and how to like separate yourself from the workplace, outsource a lot of your stuff, automate a lot of functions, right? And everybody was using that. So what we did is we applied that to an entire organization. How can you not just do this for yourself? Will this work if you do it in an entire organization? So it's really, about, or an entire uh, country, you know, how could that do? So that was sort of the uh, um, the difference between it. I mentioned uh, Tim Ferriss's book. I've actually had cocktails with Tim Ferriss before uh, randomly. Um, and he actually tweeted out, you know, after the book came out, you know, something about the book. Um, so I don't know that he 100% supports it, uh, but he, he's aware of it and he, he understands. Talk a little bit about um, your, your, you were profiled by Fast Company and you talked about a number of things and related to the five hour work, five hour workday, including your company bumped to a minimum $50,000 salary. What inspired that? Yeah, that's, uh, that was really done about a year ago. And uh, a lot of that was like during the pandemic, like we couldn't hire people. Like it was weird in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I mean, I'm talking like in March or April of the pandemic, unemployment's at like 25% or something crazy because all these people just got let go and we're hired, we're trying to hire and nobody is applying. And I'm like, what's going on here? This was just, it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen, but I think it was a lot of the stimulus money pumped into the economy, the unemployment, like people are like, why am I going to work? Yeah, I make more doing this. issue of people that we were trying to recruit as well going, <laughs> I'm just going to sit home on unemployment for six months or however long this lasts. I was like, don't you want to work? <laughs> well, my thought was, what if this is really the 
next great depression and you maybe can't find a job for three to five years in a couple of months. I'm like, you're crazy if you're gonna ride this one out um, you know, on unemployment. But anyway, so I came to the conclusion, you know, we started in 2010 and I was still, my starting salary was still the same as 2010. I mean, it's 10 years later, right? Like uh, it should have, it should have went up. So we were at 36,000 before that and we bumped um, to 50,000. You know, part of that was influenced by uh, Dan Price's, um, what he's done at his company with, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but he, he raised his minimum wage to 70,000 and they, they sort of structured this in after a couple of years. Are you familiar with that or no? No. Oh yeah. So this happened, I don't know, 2013, 2014. And, uh, you know, everybody said, this is crazy. Like this is never going to work. Uh, his company's doing quite well, actually, you know, and uh, their one year celebration, because it was right about the same time we did the five hour workday. Um, they invited me up to be sort of the guest, uh, guest speaker, I guess. And they presented his employees, bought him a car and presented it to him like a year after they had rolled this out. Um, but it, it sort of, it, his sort of mentality was, if I can't run a company that can pay all of my uh, workers, like a, a living, a good living wage, uh, I don't want to be in that business. I'll run a different company or I won't run a company. Um, and so, I mean, it's sort of an interesting take on things. It's like, you know, if, if you want to, you're going to run a company and the only way to run that company is to run it off of, you know, slave labor or, you know, paying somebody 10 bucks an hour, you're sort of standing on the back of all these people. Uh, you know, maybe if you're a talented entrepreneur, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should figure out like, what's the way I can build a company that can support, a, you know, a bunch of people. Um, so that, you know, my thinking has definitely been influenced by that. That is absolutely incredible. I mean, with all the success you've achieved, what's your biggest challenge now? You know, it's a scary world in the, in the e-commerce world. Uh, like I said, you know, our, our peak was seven and a half million in revenue. And that was probably in 2016. We went all the way down to 2 million in revenue. I mean, we walked away from Amazon. Now we've, we've doubled again. And this year we'll be back up to five or 6 million. So we're back on the, on the growth trajectory. But we're in, we're in electric bikes now with Tower Electric Bikes. That's a very competitive market. I mean, it's a different starting a company today, a brand today, uh, than it was in 2010. Um, advertising is more expensive. Amazon is now taking basically 50% of everything that they, they sell on Amazon. I mean, that's why we got off of Amazon. But today, you know, Google takes 50% of everything else sold online because it's through advertising. There's these very efficient middlemen in the center of this. And uh, we've actually started a company called nomiddleman.com where we've aggregated all of the direct consumer brands um, and we curated them basically just, just the good ones and put them into sort of a, an everything showroom. And you can just go on there and find here's the three to five best people that sell, you know, ski boots direct to consumer only. And then you just click through their website and buy from them. It doesn't make any money. It's just sort of an information source. Um, but we've done that in reaction because it's a scary market right now. I mean, a lot of these direct consumer companies that, you know, raised a hundred million dollars, they flamed out in a couple of years. They gave all that money to, you know, Google AdWords or Facebook and uh, they're out of, it's not sustainable. They're out of business. So really we're trying to figure out that not right now as to how to uh, have a sustainable business. And, you know, our, our theory is you just got to keep your costs super low. I mean, you got to keep your costs almost negative. That's why we work out of our Tower Beach Club here in San Diego is because, we're not paying rent, right? It's paying us. So we're diversified in the offline world. We have also uh, our tower e-bike repair shop where we work on any brand of e-bike. That's a local physical business. 
So we have these local physical businesses that are diversified across two product classes. We have online businesses that were diversified across two classes. So, you know, when the pandemic hit, uh, our event space went to zero overnight, right? <laughs> so this is where I first, you know, learned that this diversification is actually paying dividends already. Our e-bike company shot through the moon. Our uh, paddleboard company almost doubled. And uh, now we're coming out of the pandemic. Um, there's weird stuff happening in the bike industry where you can't get tires made for two years. And so we're going to have problems there. Uh, the event industry is now just booming, right? So that's kind of what, what you have to do to survive in, in this environment is just keep your costs low. And I think organically grow. And you have to almost like rewind to 50 years ago, where if you want to start a success, successful brand, keep your costs low, start local and grow this thing over 20, 30, 40 years. I think that's actually how the brands of tomorrow are going to be grown. It's not going to be go raise, you know, $100 million in VC funding and think you're going to blow this thing up in, you know, two or three years, uh, you know, cash out to investors and go retire on an island. Um, I don't think that works anymore. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you're doing? You know, uh, when I was in the poker chip company, I sort of, and this was part of Tim Ferriss's book, which is interesting, you know, the four hour work week, he talks about this thing called dreamlining, right? And you're sort of mapping out like where you would want to go. And it's just sort of really defining like what you want in, you know, whatever, in a girlfriend, in a career, in, you know, where you're living. And I, so I sort of did this exercise and mapped out like, what would be my ideal job? You know, I was an entrepreneur with the poker chip company at that time. I said, I, I'm in here in San Diego um, and living on the beach. And I'm like, I would like to be the CEO of a surf company. This sounds like fantastic, right? You would take these like exotic trips, you know, on uh, surf trips and, you know, do bikini photo shoots. And, you know, you'd have this sort of cool brand and you'd be introducing people to a sport that they would really sort of fall in love with. And, uh, so that was it. And then about three years later, my buddy took me paddleboarding and I was like, holy shit, like, that's it. This is the business I should do. And so that's why I started that business. And it really, we are a beach lifestyle company. I mean, someday we may go into clothing and stuff like that, but we do surfboards and skateboards and stuff like that. And our, our electric bikes are electric beach cruisers. So it's all sort of beach lifestyle related. So that's kind of why I'm in this, uh, in this job. And it's kind of, just sort of, I said, this is something I'd like to gravitate towards. And then it just sort of fell in my lap and I, I knew, and that's sort of the, the idea of that, you know, there's luck in life. But there's also like, you know, recognizing opportunities when they sort of fall across your plate. Cause I think that happens to a lot of people. They don't have a good sense of really where they want to go. But if you have a very defined sense of where you want to go, that's when you're in a position to take, take advantage of those opportunities as they uh, fall into your lap. Absolutely. Well, you've had an absolutely incredible journey for our folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more uh, about everything going on at Tower and the five-hour workday. Where is the best place for them to go to learn more about both? Yeah. So, uh, you know, towerpaddleboards.com or towerelectricbikes.com. Uh, and we're a very small company. So you can find all of our contact information, you know, on there. If you are a, you know, direct consumer brand or you're looking to buy products and you want sort of the, the best products for the cheapest price, that nomiddleman.com site is a great like, research site. Um, you know, so that's it. The five hour workday book you can buy on, you know, ironically, Amazon. They do a very good job of selling books. So uh, I highly recommend them. <laughs> All right. Of course they do. Well, this has been Seth Green with Stefan Arstall. Stefan, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, Seth. Thanks everybody for watching or listening and we'll see you or talk to you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product or service? 
Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.